hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Since we emerged from the great financial crisis and we started to grow again in the fourth quarter of 2009, the economy has grown for 36 quarters in a row. It's got to be a record, right? In the post-World War II era, the U.S. has experienced 10 periods of economic growth, and these expansions have averaged 20 quarters or five years. Now, the longest expansion was 39 quarters. So no, this isn't the longest. We're about a year short, and the shortest one being five quarters. But what's interesting is, is that recently, these expansions have been more durable. The six expansions we've had since 1960 have lasted on average 27 months. Now, looking ahead to this year, I do think we're slowing. We could go from 3.2 GDP growth this past year to 2.3% this year. So we've tapped the brakes, but we haven't slid to a halt. No, we're still growing. And I think we continue to grow and expand. I think the positives in the economy are going to outweigh the negatives. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. You know what leaves me a little edgy right now? Since Christmas Eve, when the market hit its low, and that doesn't seem right, hitting a low on Christmas Eve, but but anyway, since that time, the S&P has rebounded back by more than 10%. We had a panic sell-off in stocks that was quickly followed by uh, a quick recovery, creating what traders would tell us is an uncommon V pattern. They would also tell us that these V-type recoveries are often short-lived and a retest of the prior low is more common and probably in the cards for us. I just thought I'd mention that. As you know, I don't hang my hat on the big macro strategy calls or the technicals. That only makes up about 10% of what we do here. I think the more logical, common, common sense way of investing is by looking at a company's fundamentals. Figure out what you think a company's worth, and then you try and buy it for less than that. Common sense, right? What doesn't seem like good common sense is buying used tissues. Have you heard about this? I went to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware this past weekend, and I met up with some friends over dinner. And I'm always surprised when I go down there during the winter and see the amount of activity that's going on, but that's for another time. Well, we were having dinner, and one of my friends tells me about this L.A.-based startup that's selling used tissues for $80. And at first, I thought he was just having some fun with me, pulling my leg. Then he showed me the stories on the internet. And if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? According to the company selling these tissues, the idea behind it is to help people get ready for the cold and flu season. And the founder says it allows people to choose when they get sick rather than deal with it when it comes naturally. So if this dirty tissue allows me to choose when I get sick, 
what if I never choose to get sick? Do I need the tissue? Now, they say the product is in high demand. I guess they say that because apparently they're sold out. That's right. They sold out of $80 used tissues. Apparently, it's popular with young parents and people in their 20s who are seeking alternatives. Okay, you and I know that there's just so much wrong with this. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, how do you produce these dirty tissues? Is it someone's job to be sick all the time or is it outsourced to China? How many do you produce? How do you price them? If it's at $80 and you're sold out, well, then it seems to me like you sold them too cheaply. Now, the only real question I have about this is how do I get started? I'm going to sell my own previously used tissues, and I promise you that they'll be just as full as infectious materials as anyone else's out there for a fraction of the price. I think I'll call them snotties or something. And that's why I love America. It's the Disneyland of the world, meaning dreams do come true here. Let's talk about earnings because We've already had some, and we're getting a whole bunch this week. Let me start with Intel, symbol INTC, one that I talked about back before the holiday break. Last week, they reported earnings for the fourth quarter, and they came up short, mostly due to a $200 million shortfall in modem demand from Apple and softer demand out of China. That's a theme that we're hearing about um, during a lot of these conference calls now. My thought is that These things, these issues are going to hang around for a few more quarters. And that's why management is saying revenue will grow, but only slightly. And predictable. The stock went down from darn near 50 to about $46. And if you turned on the financial news programs, you would have seen some headline long, somewhere along the line of Intel gets slaughtered, down 8%, the flashing red lights. But let's keep this in perspective here. It had gone from $44 to near 50 in the course of a month's time. Basically, Intel is still trading above where it traded about a month ago or at the price where I was interested in it at. I'm always looking to up my quality and lower my risk. And I think this is an opportunity for a lot of folks out there. With Intel, I'm not worried if I'm wrong in the near term because they have a great balance sheet. They aren't going to crumble and go away. At $46, I would say that they're trading inexpensively. Analysts have been raising the estimates up until New Year's, and now they've started to slash them, and that's pretty typical. Earnings estimates start out high at the beginning of the year, and they get reduced as the year goes on. So now the analysts are guessing that Intel earns $4.47 a share this year. Now, if that's right, then the stock is trading at about 10 times this year's earnings, and they're paying a 2.6% dividend while someone owns it. I would suspect that Intel is a mid-single-digit earner over the long run, but you add to it that dividend. And when you put those two together, I think it ends up being a decent total return. Not to mention, 
any increase in the multiple or what people are willing to pay for a dollar of Intel's earnings. You know, over the last five years or so, people have been willing to pay around 12 to 13 times for it, not the 10 times that it's selling for now. I don't have any idea what's going to happen today or tomorrow, but if you have a little time, Intel might be a place you want to look. If you want to be cheap and you think it's possible to get a retest of the market, maybe you wait. Maybe you try and buy it closer to $44, but I wouldn't argue with you if you bought it at 46. Another one, Caterpillar, symbol CAT, trading around $127, paying a 2.7% dividend. They released their earnings and the stock dropped 10%. I guess the theme today is stocks that I've talked about that have gone down here over the last couple of weeks. But Caterpillar missed earnings by about 10 or 15%, mostly due to lower operating margins in their construction industries business. Management also lowered earnings guidance, and no one is ever happy with that. As a matter of fact, I saw a lot of confused people after this call. In my humble opinion, there was a real lack of clarity in the numbers that they were putting out. Some assumptions were included in that weren't included before. It was, it was all just very unclear. CAT is very similar to Intel. At the end of December, the stock was around $115, and then it went to $135-ish. Now it's back to 127 It sold off, but it's still well above its December lows. Like Intel, CAT's growth is slowing. But I think this is it's known and it's priced in. I think the sell-off in shares were driven by the lack of clarity in management's guidance. And as more becomes known, well, I think the stock recovers. It's sitting right around $127 now, and I think it's a buy. Let's step away. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about asset allocation. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back in just a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. So glad you could join me today. Next week, Kevin Peters is going to come on and he's going to be talking about the state of long-term care. Kevin is what I would call an insurance savant. So you don't want to miss that episode. If you have questions for the show, email us. Email us at podcast, which is plural, 
podcast at xmlfg.com. Let's get back to it. Let's spend some time on the planning side of things. This time of year is when we start dragging out all our documents because we're getting ready to do our taxes. And I think it's also a great time to review what we're doing with our investments. We need to ask ourselves the questions like, how did I do last year? What can I improve on? Am I in it positioned the way I want to be? Do I have the right asset allocation? Well, the first thing I think you need to do is spend some time coming up with a serious retirement plan. If you haven't already, you come up with a serious retirement plan and then you can truly commit to an asset allocation. And when I say asset allocation, I'm talking about stack, uh, stocks, bonds, and cash. And this is something that I'm committed to. If you're going to build a house, the first thing you do is you get a set of blueprints. If you decide you're going to challenge yourself by running a marathon, well, you're going to develop a training schedule. When you invest, you need to have an idea of what kinds of returns you need to achieve, and then you can build a portfolio around that. The goal can't be just to have more money. It's very difficult to tell you how much to have in each asset class because everyone's different. We all have different goals, different risk tolerances, and and so on. What I would say is, if you don't need to take a great deal of risk, then you probably shouldn't. Since it's Super Bowl Sunday this weekend, I'll give you my football analogy. If the Rams are winning 40 to nothing in the first half, chances are they aren't coming out in the second half throwing long passes. No, they're going to protect the ball. They have the game won. They just don't want to blow it. Now, most investors, they don't need to achieve 8, 10, 12% type of returns in order to achieve their goals. And I imagine that trying to average over 8% is probably going to be very tough over the next 5 or 10 years. So, if you can call down on the amount of risk you're taking, it's probably makes sense, but you're really not going to know how much risk you need to assume until you do the planning. Turn that invisible into the visible. The goal should be meeting or exceeding the plan that you have in place. That's what I believe is going to pay off for you over the long haul. And I'm going to talk about uh, today. I'm not not going to talk about how much to have in small caps, large caps, emerging markets, and etc. I want to think a bit broader here. Cash, stocks, and bonds. Let's talk about cash. I always like having some cash for a number of reasons. How much cash you have is going to depend on your specific situation and your comfort level. Cash was the best performing asset class last year after being worse or one of the worst the year before. This was an area that most of us neglected for the last several years. If you remember back to the financial crisis, money markets basically went to yielding nothing and we had kind of gotten accustomed to it. During that time, I got a lot of calls from people asking me where they should put their cash so that they could at least earn something on it. And at that time, it didn't make a lot of sense for folks to swap banks or money markets for an extra one or two basis points just wasn't worth the trouble. Now it's a little different. As the Fed has been raising short-term rates, some of the alternatives may look more attractive to you. For example, if you have a portfolio with 10% in cash, 
you might want to look at something like a three-month CD for some of that and pick up some extra yield. You won't get rich, but think about it. I'll use some round numbers here. If you have a million-dollar portfolio with 10% in cash, well, you have 100000 in cash. If you're in a money market at 60 basis points, that's the national average according to Barron's. If you're in a money market getting 60 basis points, well, you're getting $600 a year. If you can go out and get 2% in short-term safe type money CDs, well, you're basically getting $2,000 a year, basically $1,400 a year more. I'll take that. Look at what you're getting on your cash. It makes more sense now to look around than it has over the last few years. I said that according to Barron's, the national average for money markets is about 60 basis points. I think you can do much better than that. Stocks. I would generally like to have more equity exposure than the old rules of thumb would tell you to have. One reason is, is that we're living longer and we're going to need more money in retirement. And another reason is, is that rates have been on the rise. And I'll talk about that in a minute. I think the bulk of an equity portfolio should be in core type holdings. These are the the high quality core type companies that you buy with the intent of holding forever. You're not going to trade them. You're going to do some pruning or planning now and again, but you're not trading them. I would say 60% of your stock portfolio should be in core holdings and the rest should be in what I call longer term trades. And these are the businesses that are more cyclical in nature. Things like the home builders and the energy patch, both of which I like right now. These types of cyclical businesses go through boom and bust cycles. So you need to be a little bit more nimble here. There are going to be times when you want to buy them. And then there's times when, well, you don't want to own them. I also think that having some portion, albeit a small portion of a portfolio in growth type stocks, isn't a bad idea. Personally, that's about 10% for me because there are periods of time when these types of stocks do very well. I'll also say that I'm not the throw it to the wind type of investor either. I'm pretty picky here. I'm trying to take calculated risk, not just buying what the markets perceive as the hot stock of the day. Let's talk about bonds. Wisdom has it that as interest rates rise, bond prices should theoretically fall. And the longer the maturity, the harder the fall. Think of it this way. And again, I'll oversimplify here and exaggerate just to make my point. If you own a one-year CD paying 1% and suddenly rates go up and the bank is now selling 2% CDs, if you have to sell one of your CDs for whatever reason, well, you're going to have to lower your price because other people can go out and buy the new 2% CD instead of your old one percenter. But really, you probably don't care all that much because it's a year and you can hang on for that long. But but let's say you bought a 10-year CD at 1% and rates are rising. It's going to affect you a lot more. So here we are. Rates have gone up. 
Last year around this time, the yield on the 10-year treasury was sitting around 2.7%. And as the Fed raised rates over the course of the year, the 10-year went to north of 3.2%. So most likely, your bond portfolio suffered last year. Now, from November, the yield has gone from 3.2% down to almost 2.5%. So your bonds have come back. That's a lot of volatility, if you ask me. Bonds are supposed to be boring, right? Historically, yields are low. And even though most people think that the Fed is on hold for now, let's face it, we aren't getting much from our fixed income in the way of return. I think this argues for less bonds than what we may have owned in the past. But again, everyone's different. If I were buying bonds... I would keep my maturity short to intermediate in duration. I'm just not picking up the appropriate amount of yield by extending out any further. The real important thing to take away from all this is to have a well-thought-out, reasonable plan in place so that you can develop an asset allocation that suits your needs. Okay, one last thing. Super Bowl Sunday is this weekend. I think the Rams are going to win by three points. So we'll be back next Wednesday. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.